1: Good to see everybody in church on Easter Sunday. Yeah, that's good. Um it's this time of the year that the uh the online um like the the what do they call it the the fact the, the Christian fact checkers get all over social media and they start fact-checking anybody that uses the word Easter and they're like, "Don't you know the word Easter? It's a pagan ho- it's a pagan holiday." Like and and the, and our response to that, just so you know, like Christian, Christianity's traditional response to don't you know Easter is a pagan holiday is absolutely and we stole that sucker and it's ours now like, like give us another 1500 years and the Super Bowl is going to be about like the Holy Grail yeah. It's so funny when people do that, They're like, oh, it's, no, it's, you, you can't say Easter because that's, that's, you know, all this. And, like, there's a book in the Bible called Esther, which is literally the exact same word. Like, it's, a, it's the same word. It's a story about a woman who used a pagan's name and then leveraged her entire life to glorify God. I just want to say, it doesn't matter what you've been through in your life, you can glorify God. Yes. That was half-hearted, but that's okay. Hey, so, uh, I'm dressed up today. Come on, like I I, I got dressed. If, <laughs> my wife's over there fox whistling. Hey, if it's um if it's your first time here, I don't normally dress up, but I, I, this morning I went to my wife I was like, do I look like a preacher, babe? And she said, your belly looks like one. I was like, that's not right. That's that's not right. <clears throat> I'm glad you're here today. Listen. I hate it when people make promises they cannot keep. Can't stand it when people say they're going to do something and then they don't do it. I think for me, the, the biggest example of this is Amazon Prime delivery. <laughs> We're going to deliver it next day shipping Free. And then the next day you look, it's still not at your house. So you, so you go in and you look in the tab. And it's coming from China, right? It's like, it's coming from China. It's four months out. It's probably in the middle of the Pacific Ocean somewhere. And they're like, the next day, it's the worst. I, it's just the absolute worst. Or uh, when people make promises, they can't go, Red Robin, we have an impossible burger. Pretty sure it's possible, like you did it. It's not. It's it's impossible. It's not impossible. You did it. Fancy. Good job. Call waiting is the worst. I hate calling a business and not talking to a human. It's it's so young people, so calling a business is like basically when you instant instant message them but on a phone that and, and they, it's like you call them, it's, it's call waiting. It's, you're talking to a robot, and they're like, your call is very important to us. You're the next customer in line. And you're like, there's nobody coming. Like, there is no one, no one cares about my phone call. No one's actually like, oh, my goodness, I really, I'm concerned about this phone call. I'm coming to the, I'm going to go answer this, see whatever this person's need. No, you don't care. I hate it when people make promises they, they can't keep. I think the hardest thing is that I make promises I can't keep. I do that. Uh, For me, like the the biggest example of this would be when I was young. I was probably 11 or 12 years old, and uh, I was like every other 11 or 12 year old boy, you know, like taking off his shirt, shadow boxing in front of the mirror, like that's that's what 11 year old boys do. And so, um, and and I decided I was going to join Taekwondo because I was. I was that guy. I was going to join Taekwondo with my friends. And uh, so I started going to Taekwondo classes, and I learned, like, the, like, the, yeah, yeah, like, you know, kick from the hip, like, punch, punch, horse, horse position. Like, I I was, like, all into it, like, super about it. And I, I went for probably a month, just absolutely loved it. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I need to get a gi. And he said, well, what's a gi? I said, a gi is that cool, this is a taekwondo suit. I got to get a gi. And he said, boy, I'm not getting you a gi. This is just a phase. I said, dad, this is not a phase. Like, I'm good at this, dad. You don't even know. Like, I'm going to go to the Olympics for taekwondo. Like, I'm going to be John claude that damn in Shoe fighter! I'm gonna be like amazing. You're i am gonna make money off this, Dad. It's gonna be. My dad's. I'm not buying you. I'm not buying you a gi. And we went back and forth and back and forth as to whether or not I was getting a gi. And guess what, people? I got a gi. <laughs> I wore that gi to one taekwondo practice. Then I, I rolled it up. Uh, I, I didn't even get a chance to learn how to tie it properly. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I wore it to one taekwondo practice. And then I, I did what you do with an item that you're not going to use ever again in your life. You roll it up and you throw it in the bottom corner of your, lo- of your closet. You know what I'm saying? Like just boom, right? There. And, and, and then it became this thing in my family. Anytime I would ask my dad, like, hey, dad, I think I want to get into snowboarding. My dad would be like, is this another gee?" Is this is this another 100 bucks out of my pocket that's going in the bottom of your closet? For the re- I mean even to this day if I tell my dad like I think I'm going to start a garden, my dad will be like is this another taekwondo gi just constantly coming back to this unkept promise I made. When I was 11 people, I was 11. I should be okay with an unkept promise at 11, but nope, not in my family. The truth is, we all make promises we can't keep, don't we? Yeah. Yep. All of us do it. I've never done it. Well, here's my question to you Did you do custom wedding vows? Because I've heard some of your custom wedding vows. and I promise you, you're making promises you can't keep. You know what I mean? Like, I will make you laugh for the rest of our life. I'll make you laugh, and I will make you iced tea on, on the hot summer days, and I'll bake you warm cookies in the winter. Like, what kind of what commitment is that? There's going to come a time in your marriage, you're going to be like, make your own chocolate chip cookies. Hey, I just say I just say this: use those traditional wedding vows. You know what I mean? Like till death do us part. Like you can keep that one. Like I just gotta show up for. This. I just gotta show up. But we really do. We we make we make promises we can't keep. Maybe for you it could look like um, taking on a financial commitment, maybe a new car or, or a house where it's nice and you. you, you you know it's going to be tight, but you take it on, and then you realize a few months in, like, this is a promise I might not be able to keep. It's shiny, but I might not be able to keep this promise. Or maybe for you, you you started a business with a close friend, and, and 2020 happened, and halfway through the year, you, you had to lay off a friend that was like family. Or, or maybe for you, you have been promising your family over and over again that you're going to stay out of trouble, but you just can't seem to put the bottle down. Or for you, maybe the promises that you've made that you can't keep are promises you made to God. Maybe you were in a hospital bed one day and just just sick and sick, and you just said, God, if you would just get me out of this hospital bed, I promise I'll live for you for the rest of my life. Or maybe for you, you were 22 years old in a desert across the ocean, ducking for cover, and you said, God, if, if you can just get me through this stuff, I promise I'll do whatever you want. But then time takes its toll, and we discover that sometimes we make promises that are just things we don't keep. We create expectations that are difficult to maintain. There's a man in the Bible that, that does this that I'm going to talk about today. He, he is part of the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And, and this guy's name is Simon Peter. And Simon Peter is like, he's my guy. You know what I'm saying? Like Simon is... Simon is either up or down. He's, like, in or out. He's hot or cold. He Like, you never wonder what Simon is thinking. I just love somebody like that. Like, I want to know. You don't like me? Great. Now I know you don't like me. Like, you like me? Great. I, I hate it when you're like, do you, do you, do you? Like, like, Simon's going to tell you what he's thinking. That's, that's who he is. He's that guy. He's, he's all in. In fact, the Bible tells us that he's this guy that carries a pocket knife around with him. Like, Like, he's like that kid that goes to youth camp that's always got a pocket knife and a lighter. And you're like, don't you know that you're not supposed to have pocket knives and lighters at youth camp? She's like, I don't care. Like, there's always that kid. In, In fact, the Bible tells us this, that at Jesus's, just before Jesus's trial, Peter pulls out his pocket knife and cuts a dude's ear off. Like, he goes Mike Tyson on somebody. Right now I've got some theologian that's like, actually, don't you know it was a sword? Pocket knife sounds way better. <laughs> Cuts a guy's ear off. Like, he's, he, like he loves Jesus, but he's a little hood, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> he's a little ghetto. But what do you do when, when you make promises that you can't keep? What do you do when you've, you've taken on financial commitments for a business that you started but the business begins to sputter and you're wondering how am i going to move forward from here what do you do when your marriage was supposed to be forever and now you find yourself at an easter sunday by yourself what do you do when you placed your faith in jesus but it's been a few years and now your faith has failed what What do you do when you're normally the one that holds it all together, the strong one that people can lean on, but today you're weak and bleeding. You don't feel like you've got what it takes. What do you do when you don't meet your own expectations? In Jesus' final days, he gathered his disciples for a meal together. And it's in this meal where he begins to give them final instructions. And, and as he's having this meal, this man, Peter, is at the meal with him. It would be much different than the way you and I would eat. If, if we were to eat, we would have a table and chairs. In their culture, they're, they're laying on their side and eating off of a blanket. And they're all gathered around this blanket eating. And Peter says these words to Jesus in Luke chapter 22, verse 33. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Like, that's a hard statement. I mean, right there, Peter's telling Jesus, like, I'm in. Like, Jesus, like he's telling Jesus, like, I'm your ride or die. Like, he's telling Jesus, like, my socks are high. I'm down. Like, he's telling Jesus, like, I'm with you through thick or thin. Like, blood in, blood out. Like, I'm with you, Jesus. And Jesus' response to Peter's declaration that I'm in to prison or I'm in for death, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, deny three times that you know me. He's just told Jesus that he's in, that he's not going anywhere, and Jesus says, you will deny me. He says, that the rooster won't crow today. Well, you got to understand, in a, in a Jewish culture, it's not like us. For us, a day begins, so for some people, it begins at 1 in the morning. You're crazy. For a lot of us, the day begins at daybreak in the morning. For us, it typically begins in the morning. But in a Jewish culture, the day does not begin in the morning. It begins in the afternoon the day before. As the sun is going down, that's the end of a day, and the new day begins at dark. This is why in Genesis it says, "And the evening and the morning were the first day." God's in God's calendar, we're supposed to sleep before we work, not work until we're exhausted and then sleep. Yeah. It's a different it's a different approach to life. And so that so it's it's evening, it's dark, and Jesus says, he says, "The rooster will not crow until you've denied me 3 times." Well, roosters don't crow at night. There's about to be an illegal midnight trial of Jesus, and roosters do not crow at night. How many people have those neighbors? You know what I'm saying? Those chicken neighbors. Those chicken neighbors will tell you. But they don't need to tell you. You know. Their roosters crow as day is breaking, doesn't it? Every morning. That that rooster starts howling and making all kinds of... First, thing, first bit of daylight, that rooster is up. So, what Jesus is really saying to Peter is this: You're not going to see another sunrise until you deny me three times. You're not going to experience the next morning without failing. And then, what happens at this point is, is Jesus goes from the place they're eating, and he takes the disciples to a, a, a garden. We call it a garden. It's really like a like an olive. Um, uh, what do they call it? What do they call it? Orchard. An olive orchard is, is what it would be. Like, so it's a place with olives. And, and they're, they're, he's there, and he's praying with the disciples, and it's dark. In fact, the Bible says that the, they could see the lights of the soldiers coming out of the city, which makes sense because the gate to the city is only about a quarter mile away up a hill. You can see it from the garden. And as and as they're coming to get Jesus, the Bible tells us that they come into the garden to get him, and at, that's the moment that Peter pulls out his his old timer pocket knife and he's like, Tsah! carves off a guy's ear. Jesus puts the ear back on, and then they take Jesus back to the city so that they can put him on trial. It's the religious leaders that are driving this whole thing, and here's what it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 54. It says, they seized him and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. That first phrase just really bothers me. They're bringing Jesus away to go put him on trial, and it's in a priest's house. It's in the house that should be holy that they're putting him on trial. I don't know about you, but I I grew up in in a religious environment where it felt like any time I was around religious people, I was on trial. I was under the microscope. I was being, like, maybe for you, you've been there. It was, it was in the church house. It was among the, the people of God that you felt the most vulnerable to the attacks, most vulnerable to the accusations. And I just want to say this. That is not the will of God. That's not what the house of God should be like. The church should not be a place where you are put on trial, where we examine all the faults of your life. We, we all have trouble. You don't need me to tell you where you have faults in your life. You know where you have faults. The church should be a place where we come, faults and all, and we are restored by a risen Savior. And it says that, that Peter is following Jesus from a distance. He's he's following him from a distance. And maybe that's you today. Maybe maybe you're the person that that you really want to follow him, but you also know there's something inside of you that just struggles to follow him sometimes. So you find yourself lurking in the corners or or following just here and there. And so you you go to church, but you just don't seem to really follow follow and follow through on, like you you come and you go and maybe you follow him on Instagram pages, but you really, if you're honest with yourself, you're you're at a distance from him. And I just want to say, if you're following Jesus from a distance, you are in great company right now. Like, if you're still kicking the tires of faith, you're in the right room. You can come, like, literally, you can come to this church, not believe a word I say. And we want you to know you are welcome to come and follow at a distance. You can come, get free coffee, get childcare for an hour and a half, and just sit here. Sit in the lobby. We don't care. Follow from a distance because as long as you're following him, he has an opportunity to find you. Has this is the opportunity. And so he's following from a distance. And then, listen, it says this. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. I want you to get this mental image. It's nighttime. They've built a fire in the middle of a courtyard. Imagine a ring of stones and a fire in, in the middle of it. And then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light. So he sits into the fire. And when he does, the light from the fire reveals who he is. She looks at him closely and said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying... Woman, okay, Peter, you just messed up again. Like, you, you, could, you could just, like, write a list of things not to do that Peter does. And one of them is beginning a sentence. You, like, you cannot begin a sentence with and or but or woman. Like, that's not not a thing. And Peter begins this. He said, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, because for he too is a Galilean. What they're saying is, this guy smells like he's a fisherman. They're saying, this guy has an accent. Like, he, he sounds like squeaky cheese from Wisconsin. <laughs> so they, they, they see it. Somebody's like, hey, hey, I'm going to and W after church. And a little later, uh, I was, I was, uh, and he says, you were one of them. I got myself so distracted. <clears throat> but Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. In fact, some translations would emphasize the fact that here, he's actually swearing, he's cursing, he's, he's using emphatic language, saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So the day is arising, and the rooster crows. And the Lord turned, and he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord when he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It's a, it's a terrible thing to make a promise to someone and, and to realize that you have failed on your promise, isn't it? To make a commitment and then to, and then to, to find out that you can't make that commitment. But it's a whole other thing when you disappoint somebody to their face. Peter is is disappointing Jesus, and he's looking him in the eyes. This is a terrible moment for Peter in his life. This is a discouraging moment. His heart is sunk. His faith is weak. And now he realizes that Jesus knows that he made a promise he couldn't keep. What do you do on the worst day of your life? What do you do when you make promises you can't keep and you recognize that you have, you failed that promise and now it becomes the worst moment. It's that, that sinking in your gut, that, that lump in your throat when you realize I've made a commitment. I've set expectations I cannot keep. Maybe for you, Right now, in this moment, you're in the worst place that your marriage has ever been, and you're just hoping there's a glimmer of light. Maybe for you right now, you, there are areas of your life that are defined by regret, unkept promises, unmet expectations, and unused karate gi. Maybe the regret looks like a hug you wish you could get one more time. Maybe it looks like a kiss from a loved one that you wish you could return and get. Maybe for you, the regret looks like a situation that you wish you had just said no to. Maybe for you, it was a financial decision, and you wish you could go back and make a different choice. That's the feeling of Friday before Easter. That's the feeling of Friday. It's it's the feeling of regret, of disappointment, of unmet expectations, of pain, of confusion, of unkept promises. And it's, it's from this place that we see Jesus is put on trial, and he's taken from this place of trial, and he is... Scourge, the Bible says, they whip him and they beat him. And then they take him outside the city walls and they nail him to boards. It, it wasn't pretty, it was gruesome. It was designed to inflict long-term pain so people could look at him and say, don't be like this guy. And Peter, the last time Peter saw Jesus was the very same moment that Peter had betrayed him. So what do you do when you've betrayed? What, what do you do when you've got a promise that you can't keep? What do you do when you have expectations that are unmet? i tell you what Peter did. Jesus has been crucified. He's been put in a tomb. He's dead. That chapter in life is over, and Peter's response is a brilliant response. It is this, in John chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, which is not a bad choice. Am, am I right? Like, if you're having a bad day, like, that's probably, if you're going to call out of work for anything, fishing is a good thing to call out of work. Anybody, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, like, I'm just saying, like, it's a good choice, but here's the deal. For Peter, it wasn't about leisure. It wasn't, I'm going to go clear my head. What Peter's doing is he's returning to the very monotonous, mundane, purposeless life that Jesus had saved him from. He had a life before him that was nothing but pulling in fish and making a dollar. And Jesus said, I want to make you fishers of men. Like, I want to give you purpose. I want to give you hope. I want to give you a future. And Peter's saying, I I just, I've walked away from, like, it's not, it's all done. It's over. I'm going back to the way things used to be. I'm going back to the way it was before he called me. I I wonder what what you do today. When failure seems final, what do you do? Do you you return to the things that you did before Jesus found you? Do you return to what he called you from? Do you say things like, this is... Just my lot in life. This is just the story of my life. I, I, I'm, I'm just, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen in my family. It, 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 do you say it is what it is? It's it's not what I planned. It's not what I expected. It's maybe for you, you say like, when, when you feel like failure is final, you return back to that addictive behavior. You go back to the same crowd that, that offers you the things that God pulled you from. Maybe for you, when, When failure seems final, you say things like, this is just not the life that I wanted to live. This is not the the, the marriage that I thought I was getting into. This This is not the career choice I had hoped for. Maybe for you, when failure seems final, you say things like, I didn't expect to be single again. I didn't want to be this kind of a mom. I didn't want to be this kind of a dad. Maybe you say, I thought I would have overcome depression by now. I didn't think I would have thoughts of suicide at this age in my life. What do you do when failure seems final? What is your default? What do you turn to? Do you disqualify yourself? Do you follow him from a distance? Do you return to the same thing he saved you from? Do you fight? Do you flight? Do you freeze? So Peter leaves Jerusalem and goes fishing. And the Bible tells us that Jesus has been in a tomb and two women go to the tomb to go, they're just going to go there to grieve at the tomb. And when they show up at the tomb, the stone is rolled away. And what I love about this, let me just point something out. This is absolutely amazing. Because we're talking about a first century culture. Women are not considered valuable in the first century culture. It's not like today where, where men and women are equal. Like, like in their culture, women are considered property, not even to be educated in school. And yet, the very first two people that the resurrection of Jesus is revealed to is the very people that their society would have said are not credible witnesses. Come on, like if this thing was fake, somebody, like if you're like, I just think it's a hoax, it's just a fake story. If it was fake and I was a first century writer and I was writing this story, I would not have chosen to put the two people as the first witnesses that my culture says are unreliable witnesses. So a woman is actually the very first person to preach the message of the gospel. It's a woman that says, he has risen. Come and see. That's a powerful thing. We're talking about a faith that goes beyond cultural expectations. And so these two women show up at the tomb, and the Bible tells us there's an angel inside the tomb. He's dressed in white, and he's sitting inside the tomb. And it says that the tomb is like a cave. And it says this. Do not be alarmed. This is what he tells them. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. Now, I've read scholars that say things like, He says, go tell the disciples and Jesus because, or tell the disciples and Peter because Peter was the the leader of the disciples. He's the, the top of all the disciples. And my response to that is like, yeah and no. Like, yes, Peter had been sort of the spokesman for the disciples, but look at the context. Peter was not the spokesman for the disciples at this point. Peter had abandoned the faith and went fishing. He's on the different side of the country. He's up in Galilee. Yeah. And so Jesus is saying, Go tell the disciples and tell the one that walked away from me. Because what Peter didn't realize is this, is that when Jesus comes off of that cross, he's coming off the cross with an agenda. He's coming off the cross with a plan. And his plan looks like, I want to gather those people that have promised things they couldn't keep, that have made unmet expectations. Those people that told me they'd be my ride or die and they failed. I want to gather those people up. He said, Peter, I don't care if you failed. I don't care if you walked away. I want the disciples and Peter to know I'm coming. I just hope you're in the room and you're hearing me right now, man or woman that feels like you have walked away from your faith. You feel like you have made promises to God that you've not been able to keep. Listen to me. He came off the cross looking for you. Looking for you. He's not... He's not looking for the people that got it all together. Jesus comes off the cross looking for the person that when they make eye contact with him at Walmart, they like turn the other way. That's who he's looking for. And and then it says this. So the disciples are now up in Galilee. So they're at this large lake in the the northeastern side of Israel. And they're up at this lake and they're fishing because Peter... He's got guys, he's got influence, and he's got them fishing with him. And the Bible says this in John chapter 21, verse 4, that just as day was breaking, remember, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children. I I, I hear Aslan from the audible version of uh, the Narnia. Children. Do you have any fish? <laughs> and, and they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. What is Jesus doing? He's proving himself faithful to them once again. He's showing them that what I did in your life before, I can continue it now. The scripture says this, he which began a good work in you can complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What, he, what I'm saying is he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This may look like a duplicate miracle. What it is is he's saying if I did it before, I can do it again. If I did it for your parents, I can do it for you. If, if I did it for the preacher, I can do it for you. If I did it for the person sitting next to you, I can do it do it for you. He can restore marriages. He can heal addictions. He can cure mental sickness. I'm saying we serve the kind of God that never fails. Never fails. And so they start hauling in this fish, and it's amazing, but I want to take you back just a moment and remember this. It's a key, it's a clue in the text. It says this just as day was breaking why is that important? Well, just a couple verses later, let's put it together. In in verse 9, it says this. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus has already got fish. He didn't need them to catch fish. What they were searching for, what Peter was trying to fill with going back to his old way of life, Jesus already had the answer for it. But pay attention day is breaking, and Jesus is sitting at a fire, and he's saying, come, let's come back to a fire as morning breaks. What are you saying, preacher? What I'm saying is, he's on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's small hamlets and villages all around and what do they raise? Somebody, oh, you're getting outside the text. No, this is what's going on in the text. What do they raise in small villages? Chickens. And so all across this land. how do you know that's true? Because I've been there and I've heard chickens. As sun is rising, sitting on a pier, you hear chickens. And so what's going on? Jesus is taking Peter back to the very place that he denied him. The last time you saw me, Peter, there was a fireplace and there was a chicken and the sun was rising and you denied me three times. You failed me. You seared something in your mind that says you are not of any use to me, that you betrayed me. And Jesus is saying, Peter, let's come back to an old place. Let's come back to a place where the sun is rising and we're sitting at a fireplace. Because the truth is, smells and sights and sounds and places, they bring back old memories, don't they? It's like the smell of hot apple pie in the fall. It's just this incredible, th- it takes you back. For some of you, it's the smell of sawdust. You smell sawdust and you're like, you're standing next to your dad and you're five years old. For some of you, it's that song in 1981. You know what I'm saying? It takes you back. Just a small town girl. Living in a lonely world, she took a midnight train going anywhere. Do 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 do. Just a little city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. Don't stop believing. Come on, what I'm saying is like it took it, it took three of you back. The rest of you are like that guy's a little this is a little much. It's a little weird. The point is this, the point is this. Jesus is taking him back to the very place that his memories are attached to of of betrayal. He's taking him back. He's saying, I'm going to rewrite the places in your mind that you've attached to betrayal. The places of unkept promises. Let's go back there and let's talk again, Peter. Let's go back to the parts of your life that you feel like have failed. God, as the band would come, I want to read this to you because it is so powerful. Jesus says this. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he says to him a second time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to him, Tend my sheep. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. He's saying there was a time in in your life where you could be your own man, you could make promises and keep them, you could set expectations and maintain them, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show about which kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. It's a powerful moment. Because at the dinner, when Peter says, I'm your ride or die, what he's really saying is, like, I'm I'm more downer than all these guys. I'm more in than all the guys here. I'm I'm the most in. And Jesus begins the conversation saying, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Or do we really wanna play the comparison game, Peter? He says, Peter, do you love me? Well, what's going on? Jesus is rewiring a trigger. He's saying, Peter, do you love me? Not, not Jesus did not say to Peter, Peter, where were you? (laughs) He does not say to Peter, Peter, I thought you promised. He doesn't say to Peter, you should have got it right. He does not say that. He says, Peter, do you love me? And and Jesus is not saying to Peter, Peter, prove to me that you love me. Prove it to me. He's not saying that. The reason he says that three times is he's rewriting the three times in Peter's mind that he betrayed him. He's saying let's come back to every moment when you said you didn't know me. Let's come back to the heart behind all, the heart inside of you that you couldn't access in that moment. Let's talk about what's really inside. He wasn't saying Peter proved to me that you love me. He's saying Peter I'm going to prove something to you. You thought you didn't love me. You thought you failed me. But let's talk truth Peter. Do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Do you? I'm just saying there's somebody in this room right now you feel as though because you made promises to God that you were unable to keep that you failed him and he's not saying prove it he's saying do you love me that's the message of the gospel church it's not come and show me that you love me because of your undying faithfulness Do you love him? I love him, but I just really struggle with some things in my life, and I keep going back to them. Do you love him? But you don't understand, when I go to those areas of my life, it just makes me uncomfortable to be around other believers. I get it. Do you love him? He's not saying, I want perfection out of you, Peter. He says, I just want you to follow me, Peter. There may be times when you get it. There may be times when you fail. There may be times when you stumble. But will you keep following? Will you get back up and keep following him? Because that's the power of the resurrection church. That arisen Savior brings dead people back to life when we've made promises we can't keep, when we've not met the expectations. He didn't come to Peter and he's like, hey Peter, let's talk about that unused karate gi sitting in your closet. That's not what he does. What he says is, Peter, let's just talk about your heart. Can you meet me there? Would you stand with me all across the room? C.S. Lewis says it like this, that Easter is death working backwards. It's death in reverse. It's God making dead men alive. It's not that, that he enters death and then comes back out alive again and says a party trick. That's not what's going on. He enters death through the front door, takes to the keys to death, hell and the grave and walks out the back door and says, I have conquered the most dangerous thing in your life. I've conquered the one thing that no one else can conquer. I'm bringing life. I'm just saying there's somebody today for you. You need him to bring you back to that fireplace at the breaking of dawn. Like right now, as I'm preaching, you just feel like you, he's pulling you back to a fireplace and roosters are crowing and you're like, I remember the things I did that disappointed him. But he's not bringing those back to your mind to point at you. He's bringing them back so he can change the way you think about them. He's bringing you back so he can ask you this simple question. Do you love him? Jesus right now God I pray that you would you would open up the hearts and the minds of men and women that are in this room for those who have made promises to you that they were unable to keep those who told you they were going to walk with you but it's been a year or two and they just struggle with walking with you God I pray that right now in this moment that you'd bring them back to life in fact let's do this with every head bowed and every eye closed I'm going to ask you this question if you recognize that right now Jesus wants to revisit some old things and he wants to bring you back to life wants to resurrect some dead areas of your life and you're ready to go all in with Jesus you're ready to turn back towards him would you put your hand up so I can see you come on look at those hands bold hands all across the room. He's going to revisit those old places. He's going to heal them. With your hand, listen, if your hand is raised, here's how I want you to respond. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent and we're going to believe. Repent means this. We turn away from the things in our life that we think do and say that don't please God. And then we believe in the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, the Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He pulls us into a conversation with God. Pray with me right now as we repent and believe something like this. God, I'm so sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning away from them right now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus died, was buried, that he rose again on that third day. And right now, I'm placing all of my faith and all of of my hope in you say these words with me Jesus be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live come on church there's some people that just made the most powerful decision all of eternity is hearing the echoes of angels cheering in heaven for some people that just said I'm turning back to you right now Jesus Turning back to Jesus right now. Come on, church family. Hey, it's so good to have you with us today. I want to invite you. If you don't have a home church, you need to have a home church. It doesn't have to be this church. There's lots of amazing churches in our area, but we would love for it to be this church. Come back next week. We're going to begin a new series called Address the Mess, talking about uh, uh, dealing with some of the emotional stuff that we deal with, some of the mental health stuff we deal with. I'm excited to see you come back. God bless you. Let's worship and respond
0: to the word. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.